So what does it mean to be a Christologist, and what does that look like when we're dealing with the supernatural? Welcome, Tales of Glory listeners. We are diving into Demonology Class 104 today. Today's a Q&A section, and I'm going to dive in some stuff about what it looks like and how Jesus is involved when we deal with spiritual warfare. I was going to take a few Q&A questions, but I had my inbox fill up with a couple of requests pertaining to children this week and the week prior, and I kind of conglomerated everything I did in working with some of these people and these families on what to do if you feel there's something demonically attached to a child. And I think that'd be a cool Q&A for today that ties a lot together and ties a lot of subjects we've been talking about. So, here we goes. I'm your host, Reverend Michael Norton. I am the voice behind the microphone to the missionary at the microphone for you three listeners and a dog out there. And again, I am M16 Ministries. We do a lot of uh, ministry in spiritual warfare. We anything broadening from uh, just house hauntings to spiritual attachments to all the way out to demonic possession. I also work with people who have dissociative identity disorder and how it falls in between with somebody might feel something's demonic happening or it's behavioral or it's trauma. And I provide counseling for that part as well. I work a lot with traffic survivors and the full spectrum, from ritual abuse to Christian ritual abuse, all the way through to um, people who are just trafficked at a young age and dealing, helping them heal internally. And I've been doing a lot of dissociated identity disorder since around 2013. So that gives me about what? We're almost heading to 11 years now. Wrapping up 10 years of it. The 23rd here. Here's at the. Here we are, and what day today? We are Sunday, December 17th, uh, one week out before Christmas of 2023. And we're going to do a little Q&A before we wrap up this Christmas season. I hope you're all celebrating Jesus right now. Some good stuff out there. And we're going to do it in our own way here. We're going to do tales of glory and kind of brag about how Jesus works in these supernatural uh, events and behaviors we have to deal with when we're dealing with children. So what is it for today? Our roadmap for today, for today's episode 93, we are seven away from 100. Wow. We'll get there mid-January, probably. Of course, we have the praise and report for Kenny, contending for a miracle. I want you guys to hear about what's going on there and why it takes so long and what the steps look like along the way. Provide a bit more details. It's getting interesting right now. It, it's certainly getting interesting with what's happening here. So also, and the rest of this will be why Christology over demonology and more so in how we use it in handling cases. And that'll be the rest of our episode we talk about today. Hoorah! Praise report and contending for a miracle. Okay, what do we got, Mike? Before we dive into some contending for a miracle praise and progress reports, let's do some housekeeping. M16 Ministries has an inner healing counseling component that's integral to our ministry. Oh, yes. With the economic conditions we're experiencing, many clients can no longer afford their inner healing. I ran into a problem in counseling where people would rally it, rather pay for groceries and food on the table than for counseling. Go figure. It's the environment win. Anyhow, the ministry has experienced a decrease in clients paying counseling ministry. I usually charge on the, the client t- um, counseling side because it's counseling, right? Um, 
usually ministry will charge for when it comes to demonic, you know, exorcism, things like that. But for the counseling side, we usually do. And I usually took on pro bono cases because I kept what I called was a war chest with money in it. So even if I do something pro bono, it still takes time, right? I have to pay power at my house. I have to pay bills at my house, tax, property taxes, things like that. So even though it's pro bono to the person receiving it, it's not pro bono on my side at cost. So we can no longer accept any more pro bonos I have maxed out. I have some pro bono clients right now I'm working with, and I, I just can't accept anymore because I, I can't handle it financially. So we can use financial blessings to assist in this area. That would be great. That's part of the healings we're continuing for right now. Everything is long-term working on. So praise report intending for a miracle. Like I said, slowly we're seeing some changes. We're seeing the slow turns of the rudder. It's been great. So like I said, um, I came into this ministry of contending for miracles. I didn't know I was being brought into it. Jesus brought me here. Probably right around 2016, God had me shut down the night strike ministry, and I didn't know why, but I knew it. I mean, the message came in loud and clear, and I was pretty sad about it. Like, no, we can't do that. Um, he wanted it shut down because he wanted to transfer me and his resources on the battlefield to go deal with ritual abuse survivors. And I was saying, Jesus, I don't know the first thing right now about ritual abuse survivors, but I'll get trained in it if you want me to do this. And that's what I often did. And the one reason Jesus brought me into this was I've seen miracles. I've prayed for people who had bones heal, you know, sicknesses heal, stuff like that. I've seen the miracles where they healed right away. He said, Mike, you've seen enough of this. You're, you're mature enough in your walk that I want you to start being involved in long-term battles of inner healing, dissociation, and the miraculous. And that brought me on Night Strike. Was it, I put 2013 here. Is that correct? That possibly could be, but I thought it was my, yeah, it was 2013. Brought me out in 2013. Cool, cool, cool. So it's, it's been interesting because why is contending for healings important? Like I said, here I go. I don't want to beat up on the charismatics. Look, I have to say I'm a recovering charismatic. I'm in that environment and I work with them, but I want to call out the silly things. That's why I kind of get sarcastic about the charismatics. When somebody doesn't receive a healing right away, they don't know what to do. And I've had things where I come in my walk and spoke with people and saying, hey, don't worry about it. This is a long-term healing. Jesus is going to walk you through it. And as I explain this to the person from my experience, because they are going to get healed, a charismatic will jump in. Well, I don't believe that's true. Jesus will be, you know, heal you tomorrow and all this stuff right away. And it's kind of like it's a, a snide attack on me. And I'm trying to explain to the person, look, healings happen right away. Well, they happen over the long term. They don't happen at all. But it's happened so many times lately. And I explain to people like, look, Jesus is going to walk you out and I'm there to help you. And Jesus is going to heal you, but he wants me to walk with you and we'll walk you out of this. And it's just amazing to see that. I've seen it with ritual abuse survivors too. I try to explain to charismatics like, Ritual abuse requires them to be walked out. Well, I don't believe that. I like to believe Jesus can heal them right away. Well, he can. The problem being, a ritual abuse survivor has been fractured into thousands of individual parts with free will. Jesus respects free will. So when during the healing sessions, he'll walk through and collect the parts and lead them to him. And he does it so... Under the free will of the parts, they select him. That's why Jesus doesn't heal them right away, and that's what takes time. But Jesus does a lot of miraculous. We do this sort of stuff. So I just want you guys to know, we're contending for healing. It's long-term, and I don't get frustrated because I know when I'm working on something with Jesus, something's always going to happen. Something always will happen, but it's out of my control, and I'm not the one that controls healings. I just trust Jesus to bring a healing. That's what contending for 
healings looks like. So um, the one person we've been talking about, like I said, we've been working with since June, right? We said that the mind got erased, or this person's, um, something happened here with the occult. Didn't want this person reporting or seeing what they saw. So they jumped in and did stuff at a high level, I think all the way through the hospital level, and in the mental wards and did something to this person. So we've been contending for a healing. We're slowly getting it. We're slowly seeing this person eat. They weren't taking enough calories and nutrients for a while to get a healing going. And now they have. We've been you know, praying, warring for the person's appetite to come back. We've been seeing that since Thanksgiving. Praise Jesus, right? We're starting to see some strange healings too where the minds are starting to fire. It's firing randomly in different spots and things aren't making sense, but it's a lot more than we saw before. So we're hoping some parts of the brain are coming back online through parts of the healing. And we know we're going to see more here. I, I just hope that we get momentum this healing and this person comes to full healing sometime soon. You know, I know the people, the parents are working with are also exasperated because they've been working with this individual for two years. That you know, it, It's been tough. But, you know, so Jesus, let's dig in. We're going to get a healing from Jesus. That's, that's what it is. We'll see it. I trust him. I know him. I know it's going to happen. We just have to fall in place and watch him as he does it. You know, I'd love for stuff to happen right away, and sometimes it doesn't. Just is what it is. This one came, it was kind of cool. It came from a field guide to spiritual warfare. Um, somebody had the book. It's about inner healing they had about being healed by Jesus, coming out of blame and shame after living almost a, a lifelong molestation by a, another family member. And it's cool because a field guide to spiritual warfare was written back in 2010. And the praise reports just keep coming in out of that book. It's a little-known book on spiritual warfare, but it's a powerful one. Like I said, it's I had stockpiled a few of the books in my my garage because the books I hand out to people that go through um, spiritual oppression or spiritual hauntings. And it's also uh, the book that out here, the Teen Challenge out here in Northern California used for spiritual warfare. It's a field guide to spiritual warfare. But I want to post up this praise report because I think you guys need to hear this one. It's kind of cool. Kind of cool. So this one actually came in off Facebook. Somebody copied me on it. Go, hey, Mike, do you see this? And I go, oh, my God, this is so awesome. Because I love it. It's not like, wow, I wrote this book and this happened. No, it was kind of interesting because I wrote the book. I didn't know what it meant to have the Holy Spirit put something in your heart and then have the Holy Spirit author something with you. Because I was up late at night writing a lot of this stuff. Like, I was past my bedtime, but I always had clear clarity to write. It was the Holy Spirit. So let me do this. This came off this person's Facebook Um Posting was public, and I got their permission to share it, but I told them I'd share it anonymously. So here we go. I've shared a couple of times on how I was molested by an old man when I was eight, and a year ago from this past summer, I finally had the courage to speak up about how I was also molested by my stepdad from a majority of my childhood. It's not something that's easy to talk about, and it's pretty embarrassing. However, I've decided that a grown man silenced my voice for my entire childhood and most of my adulthood through manipulation and shame. I don't want anyone else to feel that way. So if sharing such a vulnerable thing that happened to me helps just one person to free themselves, I will continue to share. What sparked me to say something, or rather type because I'm much better with words through writing them in person, is what I read this morning in a book I'm currently reading, in the book A Field Guide to Spiritual Warfare by Michael J. Norton. It stated that rape and molestation are silent cancers of the soul. Long after the effect, enemy continues to tell these victims they're worthless, and they are, and he tells them they need to shut up and live with their shame and silence. The enemy tells them they will never be able to truly love anyone because of what happened to them. 
Many of these people live in torment for years. The obvious spirits that tend to show up in cases of rape and molestation are self-hatred, rejection, and anger. I didn't realize that some of my traits are from what happened and I decided to open up about it. I'm always feeling the need to apologize for things that I don't even need apologies for, or I feel like sometimes doesn't like me because I must have said something the wrong thing. I will dwell on these things, thinking someone I've been friends with for a long time doesn't like me anymore when there's no reason to. I also am very afraid of confrontation and let people walk all over me. I don't know how to fix it, but I'm also relieved that I know what the cause is and I don't have to live in shame anymore. So please, if you're a victim of molestation and you aren't sure if telling someone is the right decision to do, absolutely do it. If you feel like you're going to betray them, do it. They betrayed you and made you feel a life of guilt and shame, and it was not your fault. Don't hide your voice anymore. Also, try to come to a place of forgiveness. Holding on to anger will only give you in bondage. They will reap what they sow. I think I've finally come to a place of forgiveness and truly want them to be freed as well. That's pretty cool. Pretty cool testimony there. I think that the words speak for themselves. You know, it's just, it's, as I said, there's some powerful stuff in that, that book, A Field Guide to Spiritual Warfare. I never know how it's going to surface. And it just, you know, it's just, it's just amazing how the Holy Spirit works to people read it. I mean, there's been salvations in prison from this thing. There's been salvations for people through hauntings who didn't believe in Jesus. Somebody gave them the book and they went through a horrible haunting and they finally got down on the floor with themselves and their, their daughter and just beg Jesus for help. Just beg Jesus for assistance and they got saved during that time too. So there's just so many crazy radical things on, like I said, on hauntings or whatever, you know, whatever it is that that book covered a lot in spiritual warfare. So I'm kind of proud Jesus got to be involved in that. Kind of cool thing. So let's put this away. We're done with this and let's go back to our PowerPoints. So class is now in session. Note, this episode is Q&A from episodes 90 through 92 on demons Demonology 101 through 103. We will address why Christology over demonology. Why is that important? And following along from session 103, demonology 103, remember, the sons of Sceva were demonologists. The office of exorcists, uh, you know, the, I call them the Halloween costume exorcists, they're demonologists. Paranormal people are demonologists. What's different? You should be able to answer right now. It's our spiritual authority given to us in Christ from Luke 10, 17 through 20. So, disclaimer, like I always say, I'm not a demonologist, I'm a Christologist. Why is being a Christologist more effective than a demonologist? Why is that? Mm. You will be dealing with God, your creator, Jesus Christ, Yeshua, exclusively. You're not going to be going to rituals. You're not going to be saying these little chants and these little incantations or like we saw last time with Josephus. Shove this uh, spiritual ring up somebody's nose and draw the demon out and have him kick the water pitcher over. Nothing like that. What you know about demons and angels doesn't matter other than prayer postures. Got that? The only thing you need to understand is prayer postures and have an ounce of discernment. So the deliverance Karen, who has attended all the deliverance seminars and has all the training, is useless. There I said it. How can you say that, Mike? There's so much training. What about all these guys like have these big ministries of deliverance and stuff? Like, if it's a ritual and it's not Christology where it teaches you to use discernment, walk in discernment, you listen to Jesus, and you have an integrated interior prayer life 
It doesn't matter who you took your training from. doesn't matter. You've been trained like a, a space monkey. Pull the lever, pull the lever. That's what happened. That's what happened to the Sons of Skiva, right? They had the rituals. And that's what happened with uh, Eleanor, with uh, the, Josephus talked about his exorcism. It's not, it's not Christology. It's not trusting Jesus to deal with it. So let's look at this as a Christologist. Rule number one, know Jesus. What does that mean, Mike? Homework assignment. Go look up Luke 10, 17 through 20. We covered that. And Matthew 25, verses 1 through 13, the parable of the ten virgins. Wow, why is that important, Mike? I wasn't taught that in deliverance class, you know? That wasn't taught on the... The podcast about deliverance, why, why is being a, a virgin important? The, one of the virgins with oil, why is that important? Rule number two, lots and lots of prayer, so get over it. If you're entering this ministry, you're going to be doing lots and lots of prayer. It has to be habitual, and you have, mind just has to kick into prayer automatically, like, boop, time to pray. It's just, you're the one doing the praying, I said, I'm contending for a healing. I know that the family over on the other side we're working with is praying, but I'm also praying too. And we contact each other through text, like at the end of the day, you know, this is how I prayed. Not before the day, not being told how to pray. This is how I prayed. Sometimes we match up. Like I'm told I was told to divert and go after some witchcraft stuff I picked up on. And the father, you know what? I, did, I got that too. You know, so we're kind of in sync. So the Holy Spirit will direct us and keep us in sync. It doesn't matter if we're right or wrong. Because maybe the Holy Spirit will send me off in one direction one day and the Father off in the other direction, the Father and the Mother, which is fine. Because he's having us just attack things at different levels. Lots and lots of prayer. It's not about rooting demons. It's about talking to Jesus. Mental prayer. Whoever heard this before, Mike? If you tell the glory fans out there, you know, how could it be so hot in this room when I got so many fans, right? It's St. Teresa of Avila and mystical prayer life. That's 100% critical, whether you do spiritual warfare or not. Rule number three, there are no methodologies. That renders pigs in a parlor, rooting demons, and all those books useless. No methodologies. It just covers what happens. In fact, I wouldn't buy a book from a big, um, popular minister puts books out in deliverance because a lot of times their stuff is just sermon notes and somebody else ghostwrites it. And that's 100% of the time. When I submit my book, A Field Guide to Spiritual Warfare, A Dusty Image, they go, oh, we don't need another deliverance book. And my editor submitted it to the person and goes, no, you need to read this one. Take a look at this one. Go, oh my God, it's different. You know, it's, it's not the same, you know, cookie cut book. It's not because it was a book I wrote to myself because I knew nothing. My church didn't tell me anything. I was in an Assembly God church. Like I said, I was in the front row, the, the pew, the frozen chosen, didn't know what to do. And as I was put on the streets and I saw stuff and I learned stuff, that's how the Field Guide Spiritual Warfare came out. That's why it's a field guide. It was written to myself, Mike, you know, if I really, time travel, here, take this book. It'll bring up speed. There's nothing out there like that. That's what made Destiny run with the book. It's like, wow, this is different. I'm like, yeah, it's different. It's more honest. You know, it wasn't written by somebody's sermons. Um, I, I wrapped verses back to it after I figured it was going out. You know, this is what's going on. I wrapped verses back to it, but it wasn't a sermon. It was just documenting spiritual warfare. And it wasn't methodologies, but it gives you a heads up what to do if you're in that situation. 
pray. Number one, pray. Know your prayer postures. We'll talk about that. Actually, we have quite a bit. We've talked about prayer postures. So let's dive into rule number one. Know Jesus. Battling unclean spirits and contending for miracles require that you position yourself in a place of authority at a spiritual level that doesn't compromise your dominion or safety. What does that mean? Know where you should be. Don't overstep your boundaries. Don't go in heavenly realms and attack. But you need to be positioned yourself at a spiritual level where you're going to deal with some spiritual stuff. Where, what is your level of authority? We're dealing with unclean spirits. We know they're terrestrial. We use authoritative prayer posture. The position of authority in spiritual battles comes from Christology, or interior prayer life. If you don't know, ask Jesus. If I don't know, I go to petitioning prayer. Like, Jesus, I don't know where this one's coming from. I suspect this is out of my jurisdiction, so I'm switching to petitioning prayer. And I'll go back and say, also, Jesus, if this is under my jurisdiction, this form of witchcraft, I take authority over it in your name, in Jesus' name, and I command it to go. If it's not under my authority, Jesus, I submit petitioning to you to remove the power from the heavenly realms. That's what love looks like sometimes. There's a lot of ambiguity here. These Instagram and YouTube you know, pastors on deliverance act like they have all the answers. It's not. You're dealing with an invisible realm. Therefore, there is ambiguity. Deal with it. Deal with it. Deal with it. Deal with it. In Christology, all spiritual battles are mystical battles. Mystical theology governs how we battle. A mystic knows Jesus, and Jesus knows their soul through practicing prayer and ever-deepening prayer life. I'm, I'm not talking about New Age mystics, and I'm not talking about the, um, what's the apostolic reform mystics. I'm talking about the, the real Christian mystics who are actually having a relationship with Jesus, and they pray and develop a deepening, deepening prayer life. You know, if you're in your prayer room doing battle and praying for people, was that one of the, the war room, the ladies in the closet? That lady would be a mystic, right? She knows Jesus. Jesus hears her. He, she hears Jesus. It's, it's bi-directional communication. Prayer is not one way. It's bi-directional. That is just the manner in which we commute, communicate in the spirit realm to Jesus with is through prayer. That's the communication scheme. So the more you do it, the better you become at it. Rule number two. Lots and lots of prayer. I keep saying get over it. When something doesn't go our way in a miracle, we tend to outsource to somebody higher up in prayer. Which is kind of ironic because we all have the, whole, the same Holy Spirit, the same Jesus inside of us. So just because you didn't see a miracle doesn't mean somebody else is going to be able to twist Jesus' elbow and go, oh, that's right. This guy I know better than I know you, so I'm going to give him a miracle, right? That's not how it works. I'm in long-term battles. I've seen miracles happen right away through Jesus. He's not a genie. I love him to death. And I conversations I have with him goes, I know you're going to, I'm going to see this miracle, God. I don't know when, though. I right, so I'm going to see it. I'm just hoping it happens soon. That'd be great, Jesus, right? See this miracle soon. I know it's going to happen. I don't know what's involved or what I'm not seeing in the unseen realms, but that's okay, Jesus. I know you got it, and I trust you. So the precedent is a lifestyle. It means you must put some time into talking with Jesus through mental prayer, meditation on scripture, and going through trials before, during, or after engaging spiritual battles. Sometimes God will use the battle as a trial to help, you know, shape in my image of me into him deeply. And they're not fun, but they happen. 
And I think deliverance ministry has misinterpreted the, the trial that happens to a minister as spiritual warfare. And let's pray it off them because it, something cursed them or slimed them. No, that's not the case. Almost all my spiritual battles have trials where God shows me stuff and breaks more of Mike off me and puts more of him into me through trials, so to speak. And it's necessary to go through deeper trials, you know? And you get wisdom with them, like, I don't think I want to do that trial, God. That's not, it looks like it's not going to be fun. He goes, yeah, I know. I'm going to steer you around it. Don't worry. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for that one, right? You get more wisdom with these trials. You don't run, go running in guns blazes like you do when you're, you're, you're younger in this ministry. Don't do that. So it is common for Jesus to bring you into a battle that he knows will be a trial for you. These trials are part of your transformation from glory to glory, right? That's from the epistles of Paul. It's Corinthians. Transformation from glory to glory. That's the whole thing about the, the, these trials you go through during battles. Jesus is bringing you deeper into him. You have it At this level, you have a super deep trust in Jesus, right? There's still human things we screw up on and trusting him. Like, darn it, you know, I should have trusted Jesus in that one. But there's a far greater, deeper trust that I have a hard time instilling the new people I work with we're going through a spiritual battle. I tell them, you know what the problem is right now is you don't have the trust in Jesus. They go, yeah, I know. I know, but if we work on this, you'll get there. But again, it has to be through a trial and it's not going to be fun. I go, yeah, I know. So, you know, it's just, sometimes people go through stuff and maybe some oppression to get them where Jesus needs to get them. He'll allow the oppression to happen. Especially if you're farther along in your walk with Jesus, he'll allow the oppression to happen just to show you that you have authority over it and to show the enemy, the unclean spirits, some of the stuff doesn't work anymore. But in order to go through that, it's a trial, and it is no bueno. Trials are how and where we learn to trust Jesus in our walk and relationship. It is one of the ways we get the oil for our lamps in Matthew 25, the parable of ten virgins. Trials, I believe, are how we get the oil for our lamps. It's how we get deeper in relationship with Jesus. That's how we get to be one of the... Um, the, the bride's um, allowed into the bridegroom's room before he shuts the door because we've been through trials. He's shaped us. He's got us cleaned up to where we need to be to get through this, right? And why does this resonate as Christology and, and spiritual warfare? Because the more you're imaged like Jesus, the battle takes on a whole different approach. Super different. When we're not frustrated, you know, constantly praying and battling, it takes on a totally different approach where you have the trust Jesus handles something. Like now, I, I, I spent a lot of time contending for miracles for this one individual. But it doesn't exasperate me because when I get tired, Jesus will come and say, hey, Mike, you know, take a break from that. I, got, I totally got this. I'm glad you're sticking with this. But I need you to take a break right now and just you know, relax, come back down a level. But people new in spiritual warfare don't get that. You know, I need to do this. I need to do this. I need to pray protection. I need to do this, do that, do that. There's no checklist, man. It's just, <laughs> it's a lot easier but it can also suck the life out of you when you get in some of these deep battles. So rule three, there are no method methodologies. What? I thought the Routing Demons book showed me that. Nope. Mm -mm. Talking to Jesus. In the Christology scheme of things for battle, we only need to understand the workings of the occult and the demonology partially. When I came into ritual abuse ministry early on, I came out of the doorway of a deliverance minister. And it was programmed into me 
that we had to do all this deliverance stuff with ritual abuse survivors, you know, and, and, you know, I'll repent of this, do that, do this and that. And then Jesus told me, hey, you know what, Mike? That's great and all, but that's you trying to heal them. This isn't working. Remember, the adult before you was a child when this violation happened to them, and it wasn't a sin, it was a violation on their part. It was, get me in there, Mike. Introduce me to them. Let me go in there and help heal them. There was a totally different deliverance where you just kicked out the demon or it was like, come out, come out. It's like the the person or the part or parts, depending on how many there were, came under literally free will to talk to Jesus and he kicked out the demonic, he kicked out the occult. And remember, the occult is so complex. It's not just the rituals that were done. We're talking about unclean spirits who are way older than us. Some may be stupid and some are super smart. High-level ones are super smart. You could be dealing with an occult um, fallen angel who's super smart, smarter than you. So your deliverance stuff isn't going to work. You have to rely on Jesus to walk you through and navigate this stuff. It's a totally different ministry, and it's not deliverance. It's inner healing. It's bringing Jesus into the hurt part or parts and trying to heal systems. There's multiple systems of thousands of parts. That's what I had to learn. I didn't have to understand the occult. I had to understand what Jesus was doing. I had to under, pay attention to what Jesus was doing and help work with him to make the introduction to the part or parts who needed his help. And that was ritual abuse in a nutshell, but you, it takes a lot more than that. It takes a lot of experience. Also, God brought me to the place where, since he brought me out of this stuff in San Francisco, my wise eyes were wide open to Satanism and the occult. When you deal with ritual abuse survivors, they have thousands of unhealed parts that are four years old to eight years old or whatever, who fling witchcraft at you, some horrible witchcraft. So this ministry is not for everybody. It is not. Only come in, I mean, I came in by accident, which means Jesus brought me in. At my Miracles and Warfare um, Deliverance Ministry, when I had my old church, the um, ritual abuse survivors started coming. And I was going, what is going on here? Deliverance is not working on them. Well, go figure, you can't cast out human parts. And once that assumption was made, we're ready to roll. Rock and roll. We must need to understand profoundly and have ingrained in our spirit the preeminence of Jesus Christ in the hierarchy of the heavenly places. We've covered this. I think it was Demonology 101. I think it was the, uh, the preeminence of Jesus Christ because there is no one higher. All spiritual beings were created for him by him. So no matter what the pagans and the witches use, the spirits, whatever spirits you're using, we're using Mesopotamian spirits, we're using Egyptian spirits. We covered that, the territorial spirits, right? Who were the sons of God who fell, became wicked. That's who they're worshiping. Shiva from Hindu land, he was a territorial spirit. All those little spirits from yoga, they're territorial spirits. That's why yoga's bad. Every posture in yoga is an adoration to a territorial spirit that is not of God. It's a rebellion to God. And all these spirits are created for him, by him. Remember that. That's why we use Jesus exclusively. He's high above the food chain. All those things are creations of Jesus, by him. Everything in the heavenly places that came from there. Let Jesus fight the battle for you, especially occult battles and high-level spirits. I need to get this, this um, scripture framed. That's my go-to one. It's Exodus 14.14. 14. You know, if you're, you're listening to Tales of Glory, you know I'm big in Exodus right now. Everything about the occult battles come, comes from where? The book of Exodus. 
Everything we need to know. Don't need to be, you know, demonology there. We don't need to know what's going on. Yahweh and Malek Yahweh are telling Moses what to tell Aaron and what miracle to perform. And they go and do it. It's all governed on the chessboard by Yahweh, by Jesus, right? Jesus delivered us. We know that from Jude 5, right? From, from the Egyptians. The Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. That's the way I am in all these battles, no matter how dark they are, because Jesus will protect me. Look how nasty the sorcery and magic was in the book of Exodus. That was some nasty stuff going on there with the Bim, um, the sorcerers of Pharaoh. They were high-level sorcerers and priests of these territorial spirits of Ra. Those are real spirits floating around up there, guys. So you must learn to hear from Jesus during mental prayer and have a certitude you are hearing him. You must have an interior prayer life. You must have your name written in heaven. Luke 10.20 And that's done by developing a prayer life. Remember, uh, St. Teresa of Avila said that too. Once you make it into the, uh, the second mansion, that's where you learn to pray. And the enemy will try to turn you back because prayer is so powerful that he'll cause you to you know, trip up or fall back on your own addictions or whatever it was and try to stir you out of learning to pray because that's how powerful and important it is. That's where you start developing your uh, relationship with Jesus is through interior prayer life. So if you rely on popular deliverance books, I know I'm repeating this, and are a student of deliverance seminars and classes, most likely you are flying blind if you rely on this material. It's We want to have a cookbook. We want to have a recipe. But don't you think the demons know these books? Don't you think they know them already? The minute that book was published, it was, hey, we know how to bypass this stuff. So it's just, it's where we're at, guys. Have an interior prayer life. Listen to Jesus. Let him navigate you the entire way. I used to say that too. I remember I talked about way back when, early on when I got in deliverance, I used to bring a small library with me of Bibles and books and spiritual warfare books and stuff in case I needed to look something up. <laughs> Boy, my, my uh, stuff got lighter. I got big arms and my, my stuff got lighter. I said, I don't need all this stuff. I got sick and tired of carrying it. So I rarely looked it up, and it was rarely useful. But I always go out the door. I better grab my books on this, because I'm, I'm going to go bless the house, in case I need to look something up. Mm. Again, so what's wrong with the books? Most of it is wrong. And the erroneous teaching is propagated from book to book, Instagram, Deliverance Ministry, podcasts, and YouTube. It just propagates. So if we get the bad information out there, it's all over the place now. We like to copy each other. And we don't vet our material. We don't look into dissertations. And we don't look what the Second Temple Hebrews believed to make sure there's a clear hyperlink. You guys learned that from me. Make stuff hyperlink. If you can't make a hyperlink, it's ambiguous. Don't worry about it. Don't make the puzzle piece fit. Don't shove the triangle into the round circle hole. We're doing that. Uh, here's a recent podcast example from last week. I listen to other podcasts too. There's some one I kind of enjoy because it's it, it has some good guests and it has some questionable guests. And it's on um, what do we do about the paranormal, right? It's it's. Um, I don't want to name the podcast here because I'm gonna get in trouble. But you guys will probably know what I'm talking about, right? Um, it's a Christian one. It's interesting. I enjoy it. They have some really good guests on there. They've had um, the late Dr. Michael Heiser on there, and they have Joel Mudelil on there, and a couple of the guys I've enjoyed. But you also get 
the people way out in left field, like, what are you saying? And so on this one particular one, it was actually this week. So what am I? I'm just Sunday, December 17th. So it was probably at least last Monday, whatever Monday was, right? Let's go back seven days. So it's 11th, Monday 11th. This one came out. So you want to go back and listen to it. But the guests mentioned that the elemental water spirits partnered with Jesus to walk on water by making the water solid for Jesus to walk on. Your head should be spinning right now. <laughs> this came from a deliverance minister, also somebody that works with ritual abuse survivors, which I thought, oh my gosh, I feel sorry for the survivors. If we're going down this avenue, oh my word, Lord have mercy. You know, elemental spirits appear in the Bible, I think it's Galatians, only one small mention of them, but I can never get the right hyperlink back to the Old Testament of what, presumably, was it Paul who was the author of Galatians? I think it's there. And what he was referring to, so I can never get the hyperlink back or connected or connected to Enoch or anything else. So I kind of just left that, we call it dangling modifier, <laughs> you know, an, an unconnect, unresolved link, hyperlink, so to speak. Let's look at this. When Jesus walks in water in John 6, 16 through 21, does it ever mention elemental spirits? John 6, 16. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was on the is that the land to which they were going? So, there's no mention of elemental water spirits hardening the water like tiles or something for Jesus to walk on. There's no mention of that. Nor is it in Matthew 14, 22-36, nor is it in Mark 6, 43-56. This is a false teaching. Beware. I, said, I like listening to some stuff. I could not stomach the rest of the podcast, especially went through ritual abuse stuff. He started going to how he understood the occult and demonology, and that is a faux pas. That's that's where we don't why are we doing that when we're Christologists, we know Jesus. Like I talked about earlier, I have Jesus going heal parts. I've had people get healed, it's taken about ten years to do it. And people like this guy understand there's multiple systems. He may heal one system in over a year. The person thinks they're free and about Six months to a year later, all hell breaks loose again, or, sh- or shorter. So when I was healing, working with healings of people, it used to be like three months, and it became instantaneous. Two weeks later, another system popped up, so they got used to the healing. Um, so there's just so much here. I'm just, I'm sorry this happened this way. I don't want to beat up on this guy. I had a person, a charismatic, here we go, uh, in my area, and they contacted me and said, hey, this guy is um, um, training ritual abuse um, counseling um, people to train them to help ritual be survivors. And I go, oh, that's kind of interesting. Uh, who is this guy? And he goes, such and such. I'm not going to say his name. And she goes, he's charging $9,000 for the year. And I said, um, well, you know, I'm a half hour away. If you want to learn this stuff, come and, you know, offer to come and teach you and train you to see some of the stuff, see if you want to get into this or not before you spend that more money. You know, no, no, no. He's the expert on it. He's charging 9000 And I go, well, what happens if you find out you pay $9,000 and God didn't want you in this ministry? This person just exploded and hung up the phone. By that I mean, if you put yourself in this ministry to deal with the occult and witchcraft and you don't belong here, 
your life is going to be a living, flipping hell. Your bank account's always cleared out. Relationships will be in devastated. If you're married, most likely you won't be married. God protects my marriage in this. There's been so many weird times that, you know, fortunately I have a strong wife and she just sees it now. And I, I know she's, her armor's thickened in this stuff now. So she's just like, oh, here we go again. <laughs> right? But the enemy has hammered us in so many ways. He's tried taking us out. The enemy has tried to take my wife and I out. Like literally wipe us out. And if you're not into this, you can't handle that. And he'll do horrible stuff to your children for not protected, right? If you, you do something you don't walk into, but you know what? I'm going to be a ritual abuse counselor. No. If Jesus did not bring you into this, it's not a calling. A prophet, you know, the, the brother who's a prophet spoke over me. Nope. Nope. He, um, Jesus will dump you. I was dumped into it. I was dumped into it several times. I didn't get it. When I was in Cambodia. It's the first time I saw dissociative identity disorder. I, and it was in the middle of an exorcism. And then parts came up. I'm going, what is this? I don't get it. I saw it twice in Cambodia. One of the people that was stuck in our ministry team, I didn't realize was um, a survivor too. And, that's, and we went out to do ministry at a house church, an underground house church in Vietnam. And this person I saw manifested. And I thought, this isn't a manifestation. This is weird. They were mumbling and gibbering. They were triggered. They were a ritual abuse survivor. It was triggered from um, the ministry we were doing. So I told them, like, next time you do this, you know, just stay in the car. <laughs> Don't come. Don't come out of the car if you're going to do this. And then I had another DID person show up in Cambodia, like, about four days later. Same thing, during exorcism. Like, wow, what's this? So God showed it to me. And then when I got back, within a month, all these ritual abuse survivors started showing up at my Miracles and Warfare randomly. The ministry sessions, like I saw stuff I saw in Cambodia and Vietnam. What the heck is this? You know, and that's when I went off. And, you know, fortunately, I'm an engineer. When you have to solve a problem and you're in high tech, if you don't have the answer, you go to the person who has the person, the person has the answer. And that's what I did for my, my um, ritual abuse um, training. I got in a plane and inter- interned somebody somewhere for a summer, and they're amazing people. And I think they went through some hardships too, and I don't even know if they're around anymore. So, I don't know if I'm carrying the torch, but I'm also training new people now. But they're people I've been in ministry with for years, years. I told you, one of the person that was, was a close friend who was in ministry with me, Satan took her out. She totally renounced her faith. She's into this manifestation crap. Manifesting this, it's the occult. It's the occult. She went from Jesus to the occult. So it's, it's no joke. It will wipe you out if you're not brought into it. Now I make the time to figure out if these people are brought into it. And they go, well, tell me how you got into this. And like, oh, that kind of sounded like what happened to me. You know, so Jesus brought this person into it. Okay, therefore, let's let's look at this. So anyway, I digressed, but that's where we're at. The uh, elemental water spirits is a false teaching. And you're going to hear a lot more of this stuff coming out, like it's with UFOs and all this other stuff coming out. What do we do? It's okay for it to be ambiguous. We know it's spiritual. We can't connect the dots yet. But just, you know, doesn't people? Oh, it's going to bother you, Christians. This stuff comes out. Like, no, it doesn't. I know what it is. I'm as dumbfounded as you are, but I know exactly what it is. So we don't go off and try to make assumptions that aren't there. You know, it's just don't do it. And I'm surprised this guy gets away with it. It's a free pass because if I said something like that at a conference, I'd be torn apart. <laughs> but this guy's done it several times. And you Christians buying this stuff? Don't. So, in a nutshell, Mike, stick to the Bible and what God says. Not everything in the spirit realm is defined in the Bible or vetted theological publications and dissertations. That's where I go look for stuff, right? 
Did this show up before? Where did it show up? I'm at the point now, I don't really trust a lot of the Catholic Church stuff to an exorcism. I don't trust a lot of it. And it's just where God's got me right now. Um, it's just, they hold these people up. One of the things, the problem is they hold these people up and there's no humility for them. And they've been going on blurbing stuff, similar stuff like this too. Like, I saw this, this, and this. Like, no, you haven't. I've seen some super weird stuff. I've seen crazy weird. And it doesn't connect the way they're doing it. I just think that's how the way the enemy's deceiving us and blurting out lies through the, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. We've got to be careful. Be very careful. You will work in a lot of spiritual ambiguity when working in the supernatural. And that's okay. It's why we need to hear from God. I'm working a lot of ambiguity. It's like, oh, that doesn't make sense. And like a couple years down the road, I'll throw a question out, and it's like, what's the question in the universe? And then 10 years later, I'll get the answer 42, right? Or 47, whichever one it was, right? The meaning of the universe. And it's happened quite a bit with me, quite a bit. I understand now, but through prayer, God's going, you know what? Ding, there's the answer. Go, oh my gosh, that's it. Just like what happened with them. Um, you know, right I wrote the book on uh, cosmology and demonology, right? About uh, Ephesians 6.12. God, where did these angels come from? They're not anywhere else in the New Testament. Why did they suddenly show up? And of course, you know, it took some time and God led me down the path and to the point where I was comfortable and safe with it. If you find a answer, it may not be the answer. That's a problem. Research it and vet it. I'm used to um, doing research for, you know, except, uh, quantum computers and computational physics. I'm an, an engineer. I know how to do research. So I know how to do research for this stuff to make sure all the portions of the equation align properly. Ah, Q&A session. What we're going to do here is we're going to put together what we've learned so far into some real-time valid questions and stuff I receive frequently. And a lot of it always has to do with um, children who are, they, the parents think they're demonized or they need help with something. So question, how do you work with children who may think they are demonized or demoniacs? How do you work with these children? How do you, how do you go about this? And I want to talk about working with children first. Like I said, it happens quite a bit, um, almost on a weekly basis. And I've tried to fuse as much information into this, but it's non-exhaustive. It's just a basic, enough information to make you guys get confused and go, oh, this is a complicated subject. You know, maybe the, the deliverance ministry wasn't covering it properly. That's my walkway with this. But it'll also help educate you on how to proceed and work on these, these, these issues with children and how to protect them. You know? So behavioral issues with children are among the top requests I frequently get in my email inbox. Let's run down how I commonly handle these cases. So I just compiled a bunch of stuff into one here to give you guys a light bulb, what this stuff looks like and how I approach it. When it comes to any case that might involve demons, we must always be the prominent skeptic and make the parent or family who requests help to prove there is demonic affliction. We must make them prove it. Prove it to us. I don't care if there's a brother in church who's prophetic and he saw in the spirit, or if there's a the the woman who's been through all these deliverance conferences and she identified it as being a demon. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. Because ten times out of ten, these people were wrong. So I flush their information. I, I go through and I create my own crime scene investigation, right? Cover your shoes with special stuff, not to contaminate the crime scene of the carpet, 
put on the gloves, right? Get out the plastic bags, look for evidence. That's how you approach this. And your last suspect on the list is a demon. If it's a demon, you'll trip over it. You'll find out. So don't go with your spiritual guns blazing. I'm binding this, I'm binding that, I'm calling out the demon out of that child. You need to assess and fully understand the dynamics of what is taking place in the household and with the child or children. You need to understand it. What's going on here? What does it look like? Help me understand. The parents will give you one side of the story because they're entrenched in the warfare. Bring in some fresh Holy Spirit eyes and use discernment. Let them tell their story. But start discerning, start asking questions. You know, that comes through wisdom and time, having worked on lots of these cases to know what questions to ask. I'll throw out a few here to help you guys get, you know, a heads up on this. I first enter the crime scene from a counseling perspective. What is going on with a child or children? They presume there's demonic activity or demoniac. Anger and violent behavior don't necessarily mean a demon is responsible. It just means something is wrong in the child's developmental process or mental or physical health. Let's lean that way first. Get them the help they need. It's not deliverance is the answer. What's the question? That's a problem with the church right now. Note, I am not disqualifying the presence of demonic affliction. I am just looking for other natural factors that are involved before assuming a demonic oppression. In other words, let's find out what it is or isn't before we land on demons. And usually the, the trail to the demons will start popping up if that's what it is. You know, we don't have to solve the problem right away. We don't have to solve it in a phone call or one Zoom call or one counseling session. It may take a while to resolve what's going on. Maybe there's other issues that have to be removed or later it has to be removed before healing can take place or if there's some demonic attachment underneath it. I don't know. It's a child. Take your time with them. They, they don't, we don't want to mess them up. They're, you know, it's a child, right? So hitting siblings, talking back to parents, being disruptive at school, lacking the respect of authority, sleep paralysis, autism, and violent and destructive tendencies are all highlighted to Deliverance Ministries as being exclusively demonic. That's why I don't want Deliverance Ministries involved in stuff like this. And I'll make reference to this later. Some of you have been around Tales of Glory for a while. Our, our, our Apostle Catherine, we had that. And I think we had um, Pastor Bob, you know, from the popcorn movie. He was casting demons out of autistic children, you know, and he's just going off hog wild like he was non-sober. It was... <laughs> Oh, Jesus, help us. Help us down here, for they know not what they do. Deliverance ministers are not trained counselors or therapists and don't understand how to identify behavioral issues. A huge red flag. Huge, huge, huge. I.e., why is a red flag? Because they're going to cause more damage. That's what I always find, too. Sometimes I have to go back and do some repairs before I can get to what happened because what deliverance ministers did. Notice a child, if you screw them up now in their belief in Jesus, you just made somebody that doesn't want to deal with Jesus down the road because of how they were treated and what they experienced during this ride. Like, nope, that was funky mojo juju, you know, this crazy, great, great people. I don't want to be a Christian because of how they were treated. They'll remember it because you put a soul wound in them, a heart wound. 
So, is a child experiencing any trauma in their home and school environment? Valid question. Why they suddenly become violent? What happened? So, children in trauma. The experience of trauma in the brain is the opposite of joy. Trauma is stressful as it relates to an extremely stressful event and can at times be emotionally and physically painful. Trauma is a psychological condition where the brain's ability to cope and return to joy is overwhelmed. God designed our brain for joy to enter, be in charge, and return to a normal state. Right? That's, that's fright flight, right? Something happens and we're like, oh my gosh, you know. Something was outside my window and scared the crowd out of me, but there's nothing there now and it was just something I saw in the corner of my eye. Fright flight, right? And the brain, after a while, after totally shaken, returns to a normal, relaxed state. doesn't stay there. In dissociation, what causes dissociation is the brain doesn't return to a relaxed state because the trauma keeps happening. So the brain can't get to a joy state. And what happens is if it keeps happening, the, especially for children, we call this God's gift to children, to, to um, protect them during trauma, is the brain will, soul will fracture. The operating system will fracture and create a portion that can run for that during the time these abusive natures happen to the person, the child over and over. And something called triggering enables this dissociation to fire up. The triggering is probably abuse or something that happens over and over. So let's continue. So children in trauma. Two variations of trauma that affect development. Types A and B trauma. Type A trauma. Type A trauma is just the lack of good things. So type A trauma comes from the absence of good things that make us emotionally stable. The absence of good things includes a lack of love, delight, encouragement, appropriate touch, shelter, or provision from a parent. Type A traumas are referred to as fractures of the soul. A type A trauma requires enduring relationships of love to overcome the negative feelings and help in the maturing process is necessary for the healing of this type of trauma. It's type A examples. I live out here in California where I saw a lot of type A examples. It sounds kind of weird. It was in the Asian communities. Say um, mom and dad are hardworking and they want to provide for their children and they're doing the right thing. Say they own a store, um, like a pharmacy store or a local store or a computer store or something and they own their own business and they're at it all the time to provide for the children. Now, there's several kids in the family. Let's say the oldest daughter is now assumes the role, while mom and dad are gone, to be the mother and raise the children. There's lack of help for her, and she'll start dissociating, but take on mother roles or lonely roles or something like that because she can't go out of the house, can't have friendships like she needs because she has to step in the role of taking care of a family. And that's a type A trauma. Um, I had another type A trauma I worked with where it was a young individual where his dad left him and his mom penniless and they, one of the family members owned a Taco Bell. And so every night they went to Taco Bell and the family member would feed him at Taco Bell, which was a great thing. They got food into him and stuff, but this caused a trauma with the young man because it was embarrassing for him to go to Taco Bell every night to eat dinner that was given to him, right? That's how the child thought of it. And so they started associating type A trauma. That's type A. It's little stuff. Or, you know, like there was poor attachment during childbirth, you know, post-childbirth where the mom holds the baby, the baby coos and, you know, looks at the, the mom and smiles. 
they look away and there's normal attachment and, you know, bonding and joy. Sometimes a mom may overwhelm the baby, you know, and just type A trauma. Little stuff. It's little trauma, not so bad. Type B trauma, B equals bad, bad trauma. Type B traumas come from bad things causing trauma in the brain's memory. Type B trauma includes experiencing or witnessing physical, emotional, verbal, sexual, or even ritual abuse. Unresolved traumatic effect the brain in ways that the tr- prohibit it from returning to joy. So the brain just can't. It's, 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 we call it hypervigilant, right? It'll just never return to joy. It's always looking to protect itself. So the mind fractures when the brain doesn't return to joy from a severe traumatic event. What happened? Were, was a child in a household where dad was always physically abusive and they saw mom get smacked around a lot and yelled at a lot. And during the same time, the, the child was yelled at. It's called they were a loser and all this other stuff. And so they're right in the middle of this war zone. That's a typical type B trauma. And you'll see, you'll see lots of it. Um, ritual abuse survivors, this happens quite a bit too, because sometimes it's not just the mom. It's also the dad that were part of the, the, the ritual stuff. And they don't know how to be nice to each other. They, don't know, they only know how to exchange, um, was it a comments that belittle each other? And call each other dummies, stupid idiots at the dinner table because they were raised in a wholesome family. Like, hey, I love you guys. And, you know, like, I, I know you're feeling bad. It's like, are you feeling bad? That's because you're an idiot. You know, you shouldn't feel bad like that. Why don't you man up? And that stuff's going on. So that's type B trauma. So after a while, especially the males, they become violent, start smashing things. Um, you know, I had one young man who was just. He'd even take out his dad. His dad was afraid of him. By the time he was a teen, he'd go out and take out his dad. It was crazy. Um, it was only like 13 years old he was doing it. But yeah, the mind fractures um, when the brain doesn't return to joy from severe trauma. And this happens. So here is where we're going to start seeing violent tendencies from a young child. Were they from a marriage that got divorced and dad acted up or mom acted up or something they witnessed stuff that was you know off the deep end did mom and dad were they they drug users and took them to the drug house and left them unattended and bad stuff bad stuff happened to them by the druggies house like molested and raped or whatever it's stuff like that's type b trauma that we don't know right away that just surfaced maybe sometimes later in life but something happened to make this person trauma violent now type b trauma and being violent and emotional and verbal and all that stuff is not the only reason this happens. You know, a child become bipolar. Where bipolar is the brain, the hardware that's having issues, right? It's either chemical imbalance. Dissociation is not chemical imbalance. Dissociation is from trauma. Make the connection. So that could be bipolar. The child could be bipolar, right? It, it runs in the family. Dissociation runs in the family because it's the same family behaviors that weren't healed through counseling properly. And they propagate until they're stopped and repaired. And that's why we work with a lot of people healing their family, um, generational curses through behavioral issues, right? Not always demonic. Sometimes the demons already left the game Christians, but they're still practicing that generational behavior that they never stopped. So, So one of the coping actions of the mind is to induce amnesia. This is type B trauma, where the brain doesn't label memory. 
When type B trauma, the brain can reflexively use amnesic condition to cope with the overwhelming trauma and pain. The effect is an automatic forgetting of the traumatic situation as a loss of memory mechanism to override natural coping. So if the child may have been repeatedly molested, raped, or as part of ritual abuse, something violent, horrific, this could be a coping mechanism where they have amnesia going on. And it also means they'll have a memory surface, but they don't know when it happened because it's not labeled by the brain for time and space. B examples. Actually, I gave you one earlier about the young man. Um, there's another one I have that's kind of interesting, too. I worked with a, uh, a woman. She looked like she was 18 years old. She was actually in her 30s. The association will do that. You have young parts. The people look super young. Um, but she had some trauma. Part of it was from her brother harassing her all the time as a kid. Another one where the mom and dad weren't home all the time, and the brother was just a little stinker and harassed the heck out of him. But I don't think that's the only thing that happened. Because this person had s- symptoms of ritual abuse inside them, too. And, you know, it's, it was interesting because a local Roman Catholic exorcist whom I respect, actually two of them, deemed this person as being a demoniac. And I said no. And they kind of cut off communication with me afterwards. I said, this is not demonic possession. You know, it's, it's, um, and they're acting like a demon too. They, they'd hiss, spit and all that other stuff. And I told you about this guy before. I, I have ways of figuring out whether or not a person is a demoniac or a dissociation that, that likes to mesh with deliverance ministers. Oh, young kid parts who, who are sick and tired of being called a demon. They will mess with deliverance ministers and put on the full show. I've had all the way up to a garrison demoniac looking show go on. I discern it. You're not a demon, you know? So be careful. Be careful. Okay, so those are just some things to look out for. For if it's inner healing, you know, mental wellness, that sort of stuff. But after some time, let's move down the road where something spiritual we've actually witnessed happening. Um, is it a spirit popping up and talking through them? You know, it's, it's hard to discern unless you're there. And a spirit will say something to get your attention. And it's not... Parents will go, oh, they, they, this person doesn't usually say this sort of things. Like, that, that's all right. That's just an anger part or something. Don't worry about it. But like, like if I'm there and they just met me and they'll say something about me, like, oh, hello, demon. There you are, you know? And so with the demonic oppression, it was just oppression, it's Luke 10, 17. Lord, Lord, even the spirits submit to your name. You know, come out in the name of Jesus. Never return. You don't have to yell at the kid either. It's like, hey, I'm just going to pray over you, right? Come out. You're done. Leave. It's authority, right? You're not going anywhere. The authority of Jesus Christ, come off them. They probably know, but they have a spirit too. The next case, it's been rare, it only happened, it's happened twice to young people I worked with, was possession. And in each case, they got involved with satan- Satanism on their own. And they are doing weird things. They levitate, eyes are rolling in the back of the head. I tell you about the one young man I worked with in my office. The mom goes, I think my son's possessed. You know, I went through this whole thing like, yeah. Demons are always the last thing I, I check off on my list. You know, bring them down. And they got in my office and like all Hades broke loose with this kid. His eyes started rolling the back of his head. Um, and it's like, I had this little small counseling office. And the kid probably sat about four feet away from me. He's in his chair. His eyes rolling back of his head. He's shaking like crazy. And his hands are on the armrest. And something d- demonic and unseen was reaching into my stomach, ripping on some old... Um, Surgery scars. I go, oh my God. So I bound the demon, told it to go back and command to leave. And then I brought the kid back up. Go, you want this thing to go? He goes, no, he was into Satanism. He was like in junior high or something. I go, really? 
You know, so we had a conversation on what this is going to look like and how uglier it's going to get, but he didn't repent of it. And he actually got involved in the church and, and fooled a few of the pastors too there. Like, look, see, Mike, I told you, he just, he repented. And like, it doesn't work that way with exorcism. When you're subjugated, that thing has to come out. So it's in dormant in him. And I do hear from him every now and then where bad things pop up and happen. So he, when he finally wants it, you know, I, I can't do anything until he wants to be rid of it. He knows, you know, as the one guy that caught it and couldn't fool me so he didn't want to see me anymore but that's what it is you know is what it is guys but most of the time if you're dealing with um, demonic stuff it's going to be oppression and not possession you know because possession comes from doing magic spells you know blood rituals you know calling on dark heavenly beings that's that's when you get possessed so let's look at this now. Ministry suggestions when working with children. Remember, you're a Christologist and not a demonologist. Again, what does that mean? You're going to use your authoritative prayer posture over the child as they sleep and not to wake the child. So um, you either have parents go in or you can go in with like a tablet. Sometimes I can do a Zoom, you know, and just while he's sleeping, the authority of Jesus Christ, I command you to leave. I bind you and I command you to go in Jesus' name and never return. You know, just like that, that loud, or, or quieter. Or our mom just like whisper it, because they can hear. And if they're just sleeping like a log, nothing's happening, you know, probably not demonic. But if like you start getting some growling or something out of the kid, and he was dead asleep, he pops up and somebody else is there. Oh, hello, you got a little demonic thing going on, cast it out. But if nothing happens, nothing happens, and move on. You can try a couple other times too, but just do it quietly. The idea is we don't want to freak out the kid, right? That's why we do deliverance while they sleep. The demon will leave while they sleep, never return. Also, if you're in there praying in the room and you start hearing thuds on the door, thuds on the wall, you know, shaking doorknob handles up, oh, you got a demon there. Cast it out. Kick it out of the room. You know, don't don't overanalyze the situation. There's something there, something there, nothing there, nothing's there. So suppose you get a response, growls, grunts, noises from the closet, like I said, or toys switch on, start binding, casting out. And the authority of Jesus Christ, I command you to go. In Jesus' name, never return. Holy Spirit, we ask you to come and fill this room. Fill this room. Protect this child. Jesus, come. Jesus, come as a warrior. Come as a warrior. Come as a light in Judah. And we take authority of this, the authority of Jesus Christ, I command you to go and never return. In the name of mighty Jesus. That's what it looks like, guys. That's what it looks like. Do not take the child to a corporate deliverance service and have them brought on stage. This furthers the trauma, and deliverance ministers don't have a clue to trauma or how it affects a child's mind. Don't go see Pastor Bob. Don't go see the Apostle Catherine. Don't put them on stage. You know, it's just... I'm, <laughs> I'm triggering now. Oh my gosh, I'm going to go counsel myself afterwards in the mirror. Mike, Mike, calm down, calm down. It, it is what it is. I've seen too much of this, how it goes badly. And it just sickens me when they involve children into it. That's where I'm at. Okay, I said it. Okay, just for a heads up. I covered the dangers of children's deliverance and, um, and dissociative dentist disorder in Tales of Glory, episode 30, the Fireside Chat, Ministering and Discernment of, for Children with DID and Oppression. Go there. I think that was the one with our friend, the Apostle Catherine. I went through her thing and what I just called out. It's just, it's just bad. Bad, 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 bad. Shame on them. 
the M16 Ministries walk of shame there. But I'm, I'm training this guy not to go, hey, look, we're better than that. I won't want you guys to be like that. They're, how do you walk and bring the humanity of Jesus Christ into a ministry of the supernatural? That is what we're dealing with here, right? We're not here to make um, I'm not here for 10,000 subscribers on my, um, my YouTube channel. I'm not here for you know, building a big ministry, call me out there and fly me out and we'll have a big conference and stuff. That's not where I'm about. I'm not about that. It's getting you guys trained up and also helping people along the way. You know, how do we help people who are dealing with this the enemy attacking our children? What's, what's the best response to help them? That's what we're talking about. So also, um, when you're working with children during the day when they're away at school, bless the house and do warfare in the room. Command the darkness to leave. Have some people assist you. Don't do this alone. Um, unless you're up there and you don't mind the stuff. I've done blessings on albums of my own, my, myself too. I don't worry about it now because I know my, I trust you and my authority. But if you're starting out, you know, they could throw stuff at you, whatever. So for house blessing, see Tales of Glory episode 84. Write this down. Fireside chat, house blessing, and spiritual discernment. I went through a house blessing. You know, um, I buy real estate and stuff too to help me um, survive my retirement. We get little bits of money and stuff in there. It's because we don't have one. 401ks in the toilet, right? We're in America, right? We have no retirement account. So whatever we can, we go out of state and buy homes, and I go out and bless the homes when I get there. So they're nice and ripe for the renters to come in. Ah, nice and fresh spiritually. Regarding children, autism and deliverance ministry, please refer to Tales of Glory 36, Fireside Chat, Deliverance, and Autistic Children. You'll see how not to do it with autistic children. Pastor Bob, you know, it's just... I don't know, man. I don't know these people learn this stuff. A lot of times because they weren't mentored, they stumbled onto something and go, oh my gosh, you know, or, and they take off with this stuff and it's just bad, 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 bad. I had to have a lot of mentors in my way too. I mean, I think that happened a long time ago for this stuff got super popular and everybody had a deliverance ministry. I got into it way before this exploded and I used to get a lot of scrutiny about, oh, deliverance ministry, isn't it about demons? You know, you don't cast a demon out of every tree, do you? You know, and there was a lot of, um, correction I take from different pastors to be able to navigate in their churches as it should be. So these are just some considerations to look at when working with behavioral issues with children. I didn't cover them all. I can't. It's just so much. But I want you to get a heads up. Um, it's not cut and dry ministry, which is why we don't jump to the conclusion of demons ever, especially with children. Take the time to understand the child and what's going on. Maybe it's a medical issue. Maybe it's a little of both. You know, sometimes it's just Counseling, sometimes it's you know, a therapy with the child therapist that's Christian. Sometimes it's a little above, and there might be something demonic involved too. You know, it, it, sometimes it's not one-stop shopping. Deliverance isn't the answer all the time. Only a small amount of the time, not a whole lot. So let's do a hard stop here. Till next time, guys. Including remarks um, for further study. I have my book, A Field Guide to Advanced Spiritual Warfare. I, I pick up all those books. There's A Field Guide to Spiritual Warfare. And The Ad Field Guide to Advanced Spiritual Warfare covered deliverance, exorcism, and healing the effects of ritual abuse, a.k.a. we went and talked a lot of stuff about dissociation, dissociative identity disorder, in that book. And you're not going to find it in any deliverance book other than that one. Um, yep, yep, yep. Also, um, I did a whole series on this one, Tales of Glory Podcasts. Way back when, I did that book as a series. So go back and look on YouTube. It'll probably set up as um, 
as a playlist, I think on my, my YouTube channel, or you can go back and look on Spotify and just thumb through them. They have the book cover in all of them. It goes back to chapter one, chapter two, so it goes all the way through it. So concluding remarks, what are your thoughts? Drop me a comment at the blog site or on a Facebook. The blog site is a field guide to spiritualwarfare.blogspot.com or you come to the Facebook group, A Field Guide to Spiritual Warfare, which has the black book cover on it for thumbnail, so you'll know. It's over on Facebook. Drop a comment, drop a request. I usually post, I usually post all the episodes on that and also the M16 Ministries Facebook group. Help support the ministry. Uh, the end of the year is coming. We would love a financial blessing to be able to continue assisting in souls and liberation, inner healing, and severe childhood trauma and trafficking. M16 Ministries is a 501c3. It is tax deductible. Um, we'd love to have you help us. Our war chest is empty going to 2024. The war chest assists us in taking on pro bono counseling cases. Like I said, most of them are pro bono now because the economy win, right? It's just, I, I run to people, it's like, Mike, I can't afford to put food on my table. Like, yeah, I know, I get you. Me too. I'm in the same boat. So a lot of people have shifted pro bono, and I've taken on a few pro bono cases, and I'm maxed out. I can't take any more, um, mainly because of costs, right? I sit here, do Zoom sessions, or go meet with people, and it takes gas and stuff, and it just there's no money in the coffer right now for the that sort of ministry to happen. So it's we're doing what we can, we're rolling what we can, and then we know Jesus is going to pull us out of it one way or the other. But this has been like, every now and then, um, we've had the work chest being empty and then been fully fueled up. So that's where we're at, guys. We'd love the help. And how do we do that? Um, oh, also, before I go into that too, uh, mid to end of January, I will be ministering in prophetic evangelism in an area of trafficking, joining my friends, Cindy McGill and Abby. Abby and, uh, is from The Shift podcast. Super awesome woman. She's a minister too. So I'll be joining Cindy and Abby, and we'll be working with women who are trafficked and doing prophetic evangelism and ministering to them out there in an undisclosed location in sight. Cool, cool, cool. So now, okay, so Mike, if we'd like to help you, how do we send you funds? If you enjoy this content, please tap the like button and remember to subscribe. If you'd like to bless the ministry and help us provide share more biblical truth and God's supernatural, you can do so through PayPal. There's a link on a field guide to spiritualwarefare.blogspot.com. It's a direct PayPal donation link. Um, or you can just go on your PayPal and make a donation to M16 Ministries. That's as in Mark 16, M16, like the rifle. M16Ministries at gmail.com. And that's it. We have the Field Guide to Spiritual Warfare books, the Vance Field Guide, and Cosmology and Demonology. Oh, speaking of that, I ordered hardcover books to sign and give out for Christmas and sell for Christmas, and I ordered them early November, and they finally just showed up. Hardcover, man. Check that out. So if you like a hardcover, um, you know, personal message me over on the Facebook or send me a um, request somewhere like that. And if you want a signed copy or signed copies, I'll get them out tomorrow, the next couple of days. So get you in time for Christmas. So that's that, guys. I'll try to put a link um, on these two over to my Etsy site. Cool, cool, cool. Hope I covered everything. Now go out, be a blessing, and make good choices. This is the M16 Bishop from the M16 Bunker signing off. Amen.